My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with a profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful, my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Powers of death shall not prevail against it. Tremendous moment, Lord, in which you compliment Peter in a very deep and supernatural way. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because you're inspired, right? He's been inspired by by God. My Father in heaven has revealed to you who I am, and you got it. You responded rightly to this deep and important question. Then immediately, the Gospel of Matthew tells of Peter's being rebuked by our Lord. He goes from this great compliment, this great confirmation of, of his status, so to speak, that he's on the right track, that he's being inspired to this tremendous rebuke. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, You are a hindrance to me, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. If we could put ourselves in Peter's shoes, we can see that this must have been a a tremendous emotional swing. Right? From the sense that our Lord is happy with him, that God is happy with him, that he's inspired by God recognized for it to the sense of rejection right man i really messed up i don't know what <laughs> how did i get that so wrong where did that come from get behind me satan for you're not on the side of god but of men and so though we can imagine that's very very strongly worded rebuke we can imagine Peter really devastated by this, right? Questioning himself, maybe questioning his vocation, questioning our Lord. Am I cut out for this? Is this who I thought it was? The heck? I warned him, I told him, depart from me from a, I'm a sinful man. It's his fault, right? He's the one who let me 
follow him so far? Right? Why is he mad at me now? He told me to be okay. And yet, what do we see? Well, we don't see it, but obviously it's implied. Peter just keeps going, right? He keeps following our Lord. He takes it on the chin. He gets up. And he moves forward. Maybe he doesn't understand the whole thing or why our Lord had to be so hard on him or why it was so terribly wrong to suggest that he shouldn't be tortured and crucified and (laughs) come to a terrible end. But he trusts you enough, he loves you enough, Lord, that he lives what he lives his own advice. Right? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Or he gets up and he keeps he keeps going. And probably he eventually realizes that this is very good for him, where right? he's less trustful of himself, of his own judgment. He's more open, Lord, to listening to you more carefully, not making assumptions. He reflects a little bit more on you and on his own situation. He relies much less on his own criteria, his own judgments. What a great example of what we call beginning again. As St. Josemaria, our father, would say, beginning again and again. And sometimes we think of that, I think, in a kind of voluntaristic key that, well, beginning again is just making another effort, right? Getting up again, starting over again. And that's right, but, but it also, I think, many times it has to be <laughs> Beginning again, but with a new attitude, right? A new perspective. Being more humble and trusting more in our Lord. And this, I think, is what Peter is doing, right? He lets himself, Lord, be evaluated by you, even though the evaluation is hard. He lets you, Lord, take his measure. There's a wonderful story in the book, the prophet Daniel, famous, very kind of a wild story. It's good for this time of year, close to Halloween, (laughs) where that hand, right, uh, writes on the wall. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. And they're there drinking wine, praising their idols. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, And then he's really afraid. (laughs) Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. And he's so 
disconcerted by this appearance of this hand and this message on the wall, and they don't understand it, they can't interpret it. That he says, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. And so they bring in Daniel, who has a reputation for interpreting dreams. And Daniel helps Belshazzar. Belshazzar sounds like the name of some sort of disco band, right, from the 1970s. I don't know. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Menne, Menne, Tekel, and Parson. And Daniel goes on to interpret it. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar commanded, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put about his neck, and proclamation was concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. It's kind of interesting, right? Belshazzar is a man of his word. He said he would reward the one who could interpret this in this way, giving him gifts and, and power. And he does it, right? Even though the message is kind of negative, right? to, say, <laughs> to say the least. Right? You're done. God has numbered the days of your kingdom. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And so there's something noble, right, about Belshazzar, that he, he's accepting the truth here. And he's sticking to his word, and he's kind of happy to know the truth, even though it's a hard truth. And hopefully he converted because that very night, Belshazzar, the, the Chaldean king was slain. He didn't have much time left to kind of fi figure things out. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. Well, a little bit, this is what happens, right? When we fall, when we um, fail, when we sin or when you know, we run out of Steam because we're working with the wrong motivations. When we find ourselves out of sorts, it's a sign that we need to change. It's a grace of God. God takes our measure with our failures. You have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Get behind me, Satan, right? You're, you're thinking the thoughts of man and not of God. You're on the wrong side. And like Peter, Lord, when this happens, help us to learn humility, to keep going. Precisely, Lord, my falls reveal my fault lines. My faults reveal where I need you to heal me. There's a line in the Psalms where the psalmist talks to God and says, Say to my soul, I am your salvation. 
Say to my soul, I am your salvation. And salvation, the language of the Bible, Bible, means wholeness or health. Say to my soul that you are the one who will heal me, right? Make me whole, healthy. Put me back together. But Lord, if I never fall, if I never go through a a difficult period, a trial, a tragedy even, well, then those fault lines where I need to be healed, where I need to say to God, you are my salvation. And tell God, Lord, say to my soul, I am your salvation. Be salvation for me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. This is a great benefit of falling. And this happens to Peter again in a more dramatic, drastic way with much more on the line. And perhaps Peter's experience of having disappointed our Lord once and being humble and being forgiven and starting over and keeping going, beginning again, helped him do it when, when much more was on the line. At the end of the Last Supper, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. Starting to predict Peter's fall. Peter's denials. What a tremendous image. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Imagine our soul, our life, being tested by Satan, right? Sifted. Can't be a pleasant feeling, experience. It's it's kind of like being rocked. Who am I really? What have I done? Where's my heart? What are my intentions? To have the accuser accuse us fully, thoroughly, sift us like wheat. And Peter thinks he's okay. And he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus replies to him, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you three times deny that you know me. And Lord, we know the rest of the story, right? The prison and death, he won't even, he won't even let himself be accused by, the fire, by this maid around the fire. Aren't you a Galilean? You, you have a funny accent. No, I don't know. Me? Him? He totally wimps out. Lord, you take his measure again and he's found wanting. And then after those denials, he encounters our Lord's presence and our Lord's glance. Certainly this man also was with him for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately while he was still speaking, the cock crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. 
And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the cock crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Of course he wept bitterly. He betrayed his best friend. He betrayed his master. He wasn't true to his word. When push came to shove, he wasn't strong enough. He didn't love enough. He couldn't do what he wanted to do. And so he abandons you, Lord. And we too abandon you many times. And it must have rocked him, right? What have I done? What have I made of my life? What the heck am I doing here? How did I come to this? I'm miserable. He weeps. Out of love for you, Lord, and what you're going through and that he couldn't be there for you, but also the shambles of his situation of his own life at this point. Because he couldn't be who he wanted to be for you. And he weeps, but what do we see? He doesn't despair, right? I don't, we don't know what, exactly what he's thinking, but he sticks around. He goes back to the upper room. He's weeping out of contrition. He's sorry for his sins. And maybe precisely, Lord, he reassured himself. He started to think once again about how much you talked about mercy and how much you talked about forgiveness and how you gave him a second chance when he put his foot in his mouth about the, about the crucifixion the first time. And he was even more humble and became even more reliant on you. And then, Lord, you respond. Our Lord shows up in the resurrection and that scene by the lake of Tiberias reconfirms Peter. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Tend my flock. What great humility, right? I mean, the Gospels are like, you know, they're not like written hundreds of years after the events. Like every Christian who knew Peter knew what a goof he was, right? (laughs) I mean, how much he messed up. And yet he was still like in charge. What humility. Right? Every, time he, every time he showed up, part of the thing would be, hey, there's Peter. Yeah, he's the rock, but he's also the wimp. He totally wimped out. And Peter owned it and said, yeah, that's right. And, and, but our Lord gave me this vocation, gave me this authority. And so I'm going to keep living. Lord, by contrast, what am I like? How do I deal with my obvious defects? They're obvious to me. They're most likely obvious to everyone else. And how do I deal, Lord, with my stumbles and my falls? Do I get up again and again, but not relying on myself, Lord, but rather relying more on you, letting it be an opportunity for true conversion. I remember there was a priest in Rome who was kind of uh, 
responsible, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, sounds funny. But um, he was responsible for our, our formation, like our finishing touches, right, before uh, being ordained. His name was Don Juanra. And he was a great, great um, formator, I guess you call him, spiritual director. And he was very realistic. And he would say things like, you know, we have to do moral theology for los pobres miserables. Which is, I like to translate it as moral theology for us poor losers. But the word pobre there in Spanish has a, has a kind of positive sense to it, right? I think, anyway. Which is the positive sense of pathetic. Now, pathetic doesn't sound super positive, I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> but pathetic in the sense of like, you know, you're worthy of compassion. El pobre. We say this in English, right? The poor thing. You're a poor thing. And so he would say this to us, I think, to help us to not be proud and to realize that it's okay to be a poor thing. As St. Josemaria would say, to taste the clay that we're made out of. And to come to face to face with our nothingness to be a pobre miserable why because then I never despair right I, I never give up because I don't expect myself to be perfect I'm not surprised by my misery right? it doesn't break me and I remember the same priest saying to us, and he, I can't remember how he said it, but the, it, was, it came across to me very strongly. He said, look, the most important thing is never give up, right? no matter what happens. And tremendous, unexpected things can happen in the church, in your vocation, in your personal life. You have no idea what might happen. And those of us who are old enough know this by experience, right? <laughs> that things happen that it's like, I never thought that was going to happen or that I would realize that about myself, but these other people or whatever. And he would say, look, no matter what happens, right, don't give up. And I think that's connected, right, to being a pobre miserable. It's like, well, you know, we're all messed up. And to put, Lord, our trust precisely in your goodness, in your faithfulness. This is what Peter does. He doesn't say, oh, yeah, no, actually, I'm okay, right? Actually, I was kind of right about the crucifixion, and, you know, I'm not Satan, right? Actually, you know, well, it was the right thing to do, because if I died, then there would be no first pope, and so it was okay to deny our Lord three times. Right? He doesn't kind of, like, rationalize it. He says, no, I can keep going because he's good, right? Because he still loves me, because he forgives me, because he knows what's right. 
Because he said I'm the rock. He said I have a vocation. And we read in Proverbs, right? The just man falls seven times, but rises again. Some translations have seven times a day. That's kind of a loose translation. But the interesting thing about that verse is it's contrasted with the wicked man. It says, though the just man falls seven times, he rises again. And the wicked man falls into calamity. His fall is a disaster. It's destruction. So it's not, I think the message of that verse is not just, hey, no one's perfect. Even the just man makes mistakes. So keep getting up and don't worry. That's true. But it's also the contrast with the wicked man who falls and is destroyed, right? falls into calamity. And what's the contrast? Well, I think it's something like pride. Is that the wicked man falls and doesn't quite get up, even though he keeps living his wicked life. Because he's not humble, right? His fall destroys him. And so he starts rationalizing, and, and he's like Judas as opposed to Peter. Judah starts thinking, oh, our Lord's not that good, right? Look at all the trouble he's causing with the Pharisees and all the unrest. And and they're wasting money on him and he doesn't care. And he corrected me that time. You know, we it's not in the Bible, but we can imagine that. Our Lord kind of saw Judas going off and gave him opportunities and said, hey, Judas, you know, watch out for this or that because you're, you're heading down the wrong path. And Judas, unlike Peter, Peter was devastated by it, but unlike Peter, Judas says, ah, yeah, it's his problem. The good man falls seven times and rises again. The wicked man falls into calamity. Why, Lord? Because the just man realizes that no one is just, right? Not one is just. No, not one, (laughs) the Old Testament says. There's not one righteous man. No, not one. And Jesus shows up and we say of him in the Gloria, you alone are the Holy One. Only God is holy. And so all of our holiness, Lord, is on loan. And that's why if I see my lack of holiness, if I see my lack of fidelity, if I see my lack of common sense, if I see my lack of decency, my lack of justice, Instead of rationalizing it, I own it and say, yes, that's me. Check, 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 check. And, you know, help me more. And we get back up. We try again, but humbled. And therefore, more hopeful, right? I can get up much more hopeful and with more enthusiasm. And as St. Josemaria would say, right, above the level I was before, if we can have a huge fall and make a good confession and return above the spiritual level we were before. Because it's not us. It's Him. We go to Our Lady. Our Lady didn't have to begin again in the way that we do, because she wasn't a sinner. But in a way she did, right? She had to begin again and recalculate every time God revealed to her another level. Right? Like, all those sorrowful mysteries 
losing the child Jesus in the temple, hearing his answer. She didn't, the Bible says they did not understand the saying. He says, didn't you know I should be in my father's house? They're like, no. <laughs> what, are you talking, what are you talking about, right? And so they had to trust. And then, I, obviously, public life was a roller coaster for Our Lady and the passion. So we go to her. Like you, Our Lady, help us to recalibrate with God's wisdom when our own wisdom fails. Recalibrate with God's strength when our own strength is not enough. Our Lady, our Mother, Queen of all saints, pray for us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.